This will be another Prophetic Perspectives episode, and we are going to be looking at Genesis 6, and we're also going to be looking at Exodus 32, and then finally, we'll be looking at Numbers chapter 14, and I'm coming from the Amplified Bible and all of them. I want to give a little bit of background about where this is coming from before I start, so I want you to keep at the base and also at the height or the forefront of your mind that all of this is about the power of intercession and the point and the purpose of intercession. You see, intercession is powerful. And I hear a lot of people misstepping and overstepping the boundary lines with which God has placed on earth for man, and God has placed between God and man. I think we're getting a little too haughty and high and mighty, and you know what happens when that happens. Look at Eve. Look at Nimrod. Look at Lucifer. Look at the king of Tyre. I mean, it's through and through the Bible. So you want to be careful that maybe some of our efforts and some of the things that we think we're doing in the name of God, is it really in the name of God? You see, this was the issue that those who were following the orders to execute Yeshua, they did not believe in Yahweh, but to them... Their God was the government. So they believed they were executing what was right. The government, they placed the government, they placed the laws, the voice, the decrees, the orders and commands of the governing officials above who truly is God, which is Yahweh. So they did thus and thus. And it speaks about even in the Gospels that one soldier who pierced his side, when the blood gushed out and ran on him, he knew, this is the Son of God. What have I done? In that moment, he acknowledged what had happened and who truly was God. And you see, it's about us coming back to returning to that place. We've gotten too far beyond ourselves. This is what Yeshua said to the first church in the book of Revelation. So listen up, America, because this is especially for you, because you are just like the Ephesian, the Ephesus church. You have the same design. And all other nations, again, we're talking about nations. The other thing I want you to keep in your mind is that this specific episode is about nations. Actually, the past few ones have been about nations, if you've been paying attention or listening to them. But this one is really about nations. And there are other nations that have the same design as Ephesus. Now, it might look different. It might be implemented differently or expressed differently. But at the foundation, it's the same design. So you work out your calling and your purpose as a nation 
according to the design. And one of the best ways you can know how to excel and how to reel yourself back in, R-E-E-L, under the subjection and submission of Yeshua is looking at the Ephesus church in Revelation. Yeshua commended them for things like, you are excellent warriors. You are excellent in excellence. You know how to excel and go forward. So that meant a few things. That meant wisdom. That meant forerunning. And wisdom has an element of skill and warfare. That's one thing wisdom means. So they were doubly blessed in warfare. You do any quick historical research on Ephesus, whether if it's biblical or non-biblical, they were warriors. So that's why you always go back to truth because it's there right there in the Bible. So he commended them for their warfare. He commended them for their discernment and their perception. He specifically said, you know how to discern and recognize false leadership. False leadership. Now that's a word. I'll get to that later on. I think I've already spoken about that long time ago, but I'll get to that later on. Not today. And in that specific commendation that Yeshua said, there's also another thing he said to that was, you know how to speak against it because there's boldness. You open your mouth, you call it out, and you cast it down. But I have these few things against you, Ephesus. In America, it's the same thing. Do you see the parallel United States of America, we have the same things that are excellent and to be commended of us. This is a warring, a warrior nation. That's a righteous thing. That's a good thing. It's a, it's a good quality. It's a pro. But we have some cons. And it's the same thing. A con is, or a negative aspect, or rebuke that Yeshua gave to the Ephesus church was, You don't know how to love. And because you don't know how to love me first, because I give you the love, the love comes from me. I put it in you so that you can love others and your neighbors. And because you're not following the greatest commandment to love me and love your neighbors, You're not in love. That means, United States of America, just as it was with Ephesus, let me break down to you succinctly what that rebuke meant. That means all of your efforts, even the things that I'm commending you for, are of the flesh. They are fruitless works. If you don't learn how to come under subjection and submission, which is you learn to love. Now, if you've been listening to me, I've spoken about some uh, several episodes between last year and this year. I have a few episodes last year around June and July, May, June and July, speaking about America around forgiveness. 
Well, when you look at what has happened, and it's not just last year what broke out. You go back to 2015, 2016. Do you remember what was happening in those years? The riots in various cities and the breakouts and the marches and all these, you know, the injustices and violence and brutalities until it just crescendoed into what it was in 2020. It had been happening. And then you go back to a time before many of us were born, but many of you who are listening, you were alive then. You go back to the 50s, pre the 60s, where there where segregation was banned. It was illegal, which wasn't too long ago. It was not too long ago. Just depending on which year, it was just barely 60 years ago that segregation was banned in this nation. Do you really think that that spirit is completely driven out of this nation and is not alive somewhere in somebody. Somebody has not passed that down to someone else in their family. Somebody is not practicing that. Do not be so ignorant and naive. You know, it all stems from not loving God. Because how can you love God according to John's epistle, yet not love the people who you see. You don't see him. He's invisible. He's an invisible spirit, but the people who you see every day, you don't love them. You're not in love, Ephesus. You're not in love, United States of America. That's what it is, but we can change it. Get in love. It is the hardest thing this nation will have to do. Warring is not hard. Standing up for what is right is not hard. Justice, vindication is not hard. Prophesying is not hard. We have some of the best, most accurate prophets and prophecy in this nation worldwide. And I mean, go forth as missionaries and as apostles and prophets to the nations from this nation. None of that matters if you don't know how to love America. So it starts with us individually. Then it starts in our homes. Then it starts in our spheres of influence. And it starts with how we treat people, our neighbors. I remember several weeks ago, I was going to purchase some lunch after church. And this person who was serving me was not engaged, didn't want to serve me. And I had a choice in that fraction of a moment. I had a choice to match that person's energy and top it off to capacity. Or I had a choice to extend forgiveness for that person's maltreatment of me and ill behavior and poor attitude professionally on your job, because that's a part of your job, but also relationally, because it's a dual thing. And I chose the latter. Because God is looking at even the minuscule things. The minuscule things lead up to the bigger things. You see, big things don't happen big on their own. It's the little by little. It's the foxes that destroy the vineyard. The little foxes that destroy the vineyard. It's not the big things. It's the little foxes. So in that moment, I make the decision, I'm going to extend forgiveness and I'm going to treat you better than you're treating me. I'm not going to give you what you deserve. That's called mercy. So I forgave first and then I extended mercy. 
That's what we have to learn how to do as a nation. That is the only way we are going to overcome and get back to a place of victory. Now, let me prophesy to you. I, I believe I might have shared this last year. I don't think I've said it so much this year, maybe once. America will be saved. This is not me jumping on anybody else's bandwagon. I don't do that. If you know me, I mean really know me, you are in my life. We have a relationship. We have a covenant relationship. We have rapport or you've been following me or I've ministered to you in person or virtually. You know, I don't jump on anybody's bandwagon. And if I do, there are very few people's bandwagon I jump on. You got to be of quality and of validity. And your heart has to be truly sincere sincere before the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So when I say America shall be saved, that's not me repeating or quoting somebody else's terms. And I'm also saying that because I had this, well, there was this person years ago, got on a platform and was indirectly speaking of me and said something about... um, I was stealing prophecies. So that's a fourth reason why I started this podcast, to show you that I ain't taking nothing nobody else is saying, because God has given me stuff ain't nobody else has even said. That's called the forerunner anointing. Now, that's not to boast or pat myself on the back, but read 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I had an experience back in 2015, and I'm not going through the entire experience. The word I got over this nation, uh, I had an experience, prophecies over five different nations, and America was one. And the closing remark that Yahweh said over America is, America shall be saved. Okay, did you catch that date? Excuse me, the year 2015. In 2015, nobody was thinking about, oh, America is going to fall or a 2020 is going to bring this or nobody was thinking that we were ever going to come to this place that we're in and that America's borders or within America will be the way it is. I remember the very next year, 2016, I was speaking to somebody, not going to go into full detail as to not alert or alarm or even give anybody else some ideas of what to do. And I don't mean that as in me being selfish to a brother or sister. I mean, give an enemy an idea. You see, you got to be careful with what you're saying and what you're revealing. God is the God of light, but he also brings forth the clouds and covers himself in darkness. That does not mean he's evil. It does not mean he's two-faced. It does not mean that he's, that's not what that means. You got to get in the spirit and understand. So you have to know when and what to speak. And then you got to know how to convey it. So I was telling this person in 2016 that something is going to happen in this nation. And that person rose up in all sorts of privilege and haughtiness and American pride and self-righteousness. That'll never happen here. And I took the back seat for several reasons because I knew what was going to happen. 
You see, when God tells me something, I stand firm on it. I don't allow anybody else's no or lack of agreement or I don't know or I don't allow that to sway me. I know when I hear from him. The second reason why I chose to back down is because ain't no reason with arguing over the word of God with somebody else, especially a brother or a sister in Christ. Even a fool, because a fool ain't going to understand more than a brother and sister in Christ. Now, a brother and sister in Christ can be a fool. I'm just preaching right now. I ain't even gotten to the word. So this is the inter- this is an extended introduction. You're welcome. The third reason why I chose to back down is because I was the junior to this person's senior. And I chose to respect this person. And then fourth, if you will, maybe fourth is third and, and third is fourth. But This person and I had a relationship, a very close relationship, and I didn't want to destroy that. So I just took the back seat and I shut up. Well, you fast forward to where we are today, and I mean, I think it's speaking for itself. So let's go back to 2015, and I'll close this out. God specifically told me that America will be saved. His words were America shall be saved. So something else I want to say to that is in 2015, when I got that word, which is documented and it's been sent out via email to several different people from various different email accounts from me. So didn't steal it, got proof in your face. But what I love about this is Other people are saying the exact same phraseology, America shall be saved. You see, when you get people in different places, different states, different areas, what have you, whatever, and they're saying the same thing without knowledge of it ever being said or heard before, you know the Spirit of God is at work. That's when you know true prophecy is at work. Now, you take that however you want to take it. You can choose to see right now it's bleak, it's dim, it's dark. We'll never get to where we got to go. And you're disagreeing with the word of God, which means I've explained this already before. You've now become an enemy against the father. Don't do that, please. I'm speaking to the sons of God because those who are not in the kingdom of God, you're already an enemy. You're already you're already treaching, uh, treading in treacherous waters. But the sons of God, don't dishonor or disregard the word of God. The word of God is both spirit and truth. It's not just the written word. It's also the rhema word, the spirit. So you don't want to disregard that as well. That's why it tells us in 1 Thessalonians not to despise or scoff at prophecies, but to test them because it is the word. The spirit of prophecy is a testimony of Yeshua. Prophecy is Yeshua. Testifying is Yeshua. The word became flesh, Yeshua. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God, Yeshua. Yeshua is the word, all of it. You cannot separate any of that. So pay attention to prophecy. Now, introduction's done. So I talked about that you want to keep at the base and the forefront of your mind that this is about God looking at nations. And you need to understand whatever the call and design of your nation is, that is very important. People don't take that seriously. And all you got to do is look at Israel and then look in Revelation 
That is how serious God takes us living in and pressing forward in our designs and our callings individually and as nations. And then, you know, everything in between that there's familial, there's corporate, there is business, there's so on and so forth. I'm not getting into that because it's not the episode that we're talking about that. I did um, episodes last year on redemptive designs. You'll have to go back and listen to that. But you need to understand Whatever your nation's design is, there are strengths and there are weaknesses, there are pitfalls. You need to understand, I would encourage you to assess your pitfalls more than you assess your strengths. You see, we're so good at looking at our strengths, what we're good at. That's all we want to know. Oh, I'm this, I'm that. Because it's like it's eye-opening, if you will, to us, or I won't say so much eye-opening, It pets and pleases something in us. I think Timothy says it appeases the flesh. That's what those types of things do. But if you look at something with which you struggle individually, you look at something with which your city or your state or your nation struggles with or your family or whatever struggles with, that is truly eye-opening And you know it's eye-opening because what will usually happen? Denial. I don't do that. I don't have that. We don't have that. That's called a stronghold. The enemy does not want you to break free of that. So whenever that comes up, you need to check it. Now, every time you very well may not be doing that or have that in you, but that's why you check it. Stop being so quick to just cast things aside. Check it, okay? Understand your design, understand your calling individually unto nations and everything in between. So God is looking at nations right now. And this isn't anything new. That's why the title of this series is called Prophetic Prophetic Perspectives, Discerning the Voice of Yah, through whatever scripture or chapter or verses that we're reading, and we're reading different ones. So I asked Holy Spirit, I said, well, where is the voice of God looking at and and his eyes are on nations? Nations are hanging in the balance. And he led me to those books, Genesis 6, Exodus 32, and Numbers 14. So In Genesis chapter 6, I'm only going to read a little bit. I'm not going to read everything, and then I'll explain to you what is going on. I'm going to start at verse 5. Again, Amplify Bible. The Lord saw that the wickedness, depravity of man was great on the earth, and that every imagination or intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. The Lord regretted that he had made mankind on the earth, and he was deeply grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy, annihilate mankind whom I have created from the surface of the earth, not only man, but the animals and the crawling things and the birds of the air, because it deeply grieves me to see mankind's sin, and I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor and grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
Verse 11, the population of the earth was corrupt, absolutely depraved, spiritually and morally putrid in God's sight. And the land was filled with violence, desecration, infringement, outrage, assault and lust for power. God looked on the earth and saw how debased and degenerate it was for all humanity had corrupted their way on earth and lost their true direction. Verse 13, God said to Noah, I intend to make an end of all that lives for through men, the land is filled with violence and behold, I'm about to destroy them together with the land. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make it in rooms, stalls, pens, coops, nests, cages, compartments, and coat it inside out with pitch, butamen. This is the way that you are to make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits, 450 by 75 by 45. Verse 17, for behold, I, even I, will bring a flood of waters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens in which there is the breath and spirit of life. Everything that is on the land shall die, but I will establish my covenant, solemn promise, formal agreement with you. And you shall come into the ark, you and your three sons and your wife and your son's wives with you. And every living thing found on land, you shall bring two of every kind in the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. And that's all I'm going to read from Genesis chapter six. So if you're getting the point, God had been assessing the earth from Genesis chapter two, three, all the way to Genesis chapter six and understand that it's not as quick as we would like to think. It's not as quick as just us reading Genesis two, three, four, five, six consecutively or even pausing a lot of time passed. In fact, generations had passed. Do you understand? Generations and generations had been born. Go back and read the Bible of what was going on leading up to Genesis 6. That's why we have to understand, go back to what I said several minutes ago, it's never just a big thing. It's always little things leading up to a big thing. And, you know, God does things instantly, immediately, and suddenly, but God is a God of process. And God is a God who observes. And before God makes a big decision, as he did with Genesis chapter 6, he watches. Actually, when I was reading verse 5, if you go back and look at that, he closes his word to Noah. He says, I am discerning every imagination or intent of the thoughts of man's heart, and they are evil continually. Now, when I really begin to study Genesis chapter six, and this was some time ago, years ago, continually, as I have understood it, when I begin to study this specifically in Genesis six, it's not just continual as in every day, all day, I'm thinking about this generationally, because God's brilliance and omniscience is far beyond ours. God sees beyond time space and God looks into the generations. God saw all generations in that time frame. Their intent and imagination was always evil. And it was not going to change. He's looking at 
nations. That's why we have to understand the soul, S-O-U-L, which is the design and the calling of the nation so we can act accordingly. I like how Chuck Pierce said a few weeks ago, I forget if it I, actually it was a Sunday morning and he was exhorting and he said he was having a conversation with his son Isaac and those two were reading the book of Revelation or they're still reading it. And Chuck was saying, you know, they didn't make it. And I said, whoop, there it is. There it is, people. I, I, <laughs> I don't think that we get that. I, I think that we look at things in this fairy tale light and everything's just a happy ending for everybody and everything. No. Have you read the Bible? Do you see how nations and people groups and tribes and many civilizations, I mean, they ended never to return again, or many ended never to fully get into their destiny. You look at Shamgar, you look at Esau, and those are just a couple. There are many people. You look at Jephthah, barren, fruitless. So no, there is not a fairy tale ending for everybody and everything, but praise be unto God who causes us to triumph and allows us to diffuse the fragrance of Yeshua, his son, in his son. He gives us his son who is the word and the word teaches us and prepares us how to act. Let me break it down. We get to learn from everybody else in history so we can do it better. Oh, my God, even better news, the good news, the gospel. We have a booster shot, the Holy Ghost living in us. They didn't have that. So we get to learn from them. We get to watch and observe them. Now, many of them are in the cloud of witnesses and they're watching us. But we get to watch them historically through their lives written down. Well, not all of it, some of it, because everything they did ain't written down. But then we got the Holy Ghost as well. Come on, everybody. We got to get this. We got to live and press on and not miss it. Do you want to miss it? Now, the word is we shall be saved. That's not a conditional word. Now, don't start jumping up and down and getting a hoorah and, and getting into haughtiness and pride. You see, the stronghold in this nation, United States of America, is pride. So to take down the stronghold, we have to surrender our minds. Strongholds are in the mind. You cannot curse or bind or cast out a stronghold people, especially spiritual warriors, you surrender those lofty thoughts unto Yeshua. And pride is the highest of the lofty thoughts. So we go low. I know that's hard. It is the hard. It, I, reaching your destiny and your calling is not easy. We think it's just as simple as God says you're this, God says you're that, and poof, you're that already. Uh-uh process, 
process, process, look at the life of Abram and Sarai, process, look at the life of Jacob, process, look at the life of his son Joseph, process, look at Israel, look at process. You don't just get it like that. So God is observing the nations to see how are we going to overcome the root iniquities, the strongholds, the demonic strongholds, because there are righteous and good strongholds. David is prolific and noted as building righteous strongholds, actually converting he had a specific tactic or, a, excuse me, a specific skill. You could call it a tactic as well. He converted demonic strongholds into righteous ones. I mean, David was just, I mean, outstanding. You know, he had his issues, as we all do, but just outstanding. And, but David wasn't the only one who did that. Other kings built strongholds of righteousness, you know, not necessarily converting demonic ones into godly ones, but they built strongholds of righteousness. So how are we going to overcome the root iniquity? You go after the one thing. You don't need to pick up all the fruit or pull at all the branches or pull at all the stems. You'd go after the root, the one thing. And understand, roots have many... Um, compartments or many things stemming from it, you go after the central unit, the one thing, and that's what you pull up. That's for everyone in whatever nation you are. You need to understand your nation's design and calling, and then you need to understand the demonic stronghold, and then you need to understand whatever the battlefield is in your nation. And that is how you will redeem your nation. So when you receive a prophetic word, as America has received, America shall be saved. Yes, this is not a conditional prophecy. It's not. It's going to happen. However, it's not for us to strengthen the stronghold of pride around us and for us just to sit back and watch God just magically poof fix it and do it for us. We work towards casting down and pulling down the stronghold. It takes some effort with us. And dare I say it, to the degree and the extent that we are willing and that we are obedient and submissive to coming in the opposite spirit of the stronghold, the demonic stronghold, that is the degree how it will hasten and quicken the, the noose and loosen the noose around us as a nation so that we can break free of the stronghold. I hope you pick that up. So we got to get it. Get it. Pick it up. The last thing I want to say about Genesis chapter six is that, again, God always had a redemptive plan. So even though he was tired, I mean, grew weary of the earth at that time, his redemptive plan was Noah. So never get to the point to where you feel things are just completely bleak or hopeless because he has a redemptive plan, unless otherwise noted that it's just bleak and dim. The next 
scripture or passage I want to give you is in Exodus 32. I'm going to start at verse 9. And again, I'm going to remind you, keep in mind that the power of intercession. So what Noah did, you know, Noah was prophesying about the flood coming and telling people to get ready, but they were so full of pride and they did not care. They were so full of pride, they didn't even acknowledge God. It was Romans chapter one all over again and Revelation, uh, the Laodicean church. They couldn't, it was pride and denial. They couldn't even acknowledge God. Do you think we're living in those times again today? And then Yeshua said, as in the days of Noah. Yes, you're so in denial and you're so proud of that denial that you can't even acknowledge the existence, the activity of Yahweh in your midst. That's what got them casted off of the face of the earth. It wasn't that all that other stuff going on. Now, that other stuff, when you, when you study Genesis 6, it was, hor- I don't think horrible is even the best word, but it was horrible. But it's going on now. It is going on now. It has been hidden from many people. And then you just got some fools. I said what I said. You got some fools who would just never believe this type of stuff is going on. Because their minds are blinded and they're willfully ignorant. Now, I think I do explain this. There is a difference between your mind being blinded and being willfully ignorant. I don't do willfully ignorant. I, I don't do that. Be, understand the, the word before ignorant and emphasize it. Willfully ignorant. You're choosing not to come into a new understanding. I can't deal with that. And Yahweh in Romans chapter one might have a similar perspective, but you know, I'm not putting that on him. You go and read Romans one for yourself. So yes, all these horrible, horrendous, evil, wicked things were going on in Genesis six, but at the base of what drove all those things, the effects of those things, you could say the cause was they refuse to acknowledge Yahweh as God and repent. That's all he wanted in Romans 1. That's all he wanted from the Laodicean church. That was the rebuke to the Laodicean church. You are naked, you are poor, and you are shameful, wretched, and you don't even know it. But I have a remedy for you, Laodicea. Repent. I'm knocking at your door. So, in the intercessory act that Noah did was be willing. He stood in the gap for his family, actually for the generations, because generations came from Noah, his sons, and so on and so forth. Uh, scripture says he, his bloodline was perfect in that day. It had not been tainted by the societal pressures and norms during that day. He stood in the gap. That is the power of intercession. In Exodus 32, verse 9 from the Amplified Bible, the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, they are a stiff-necked, stubborn, rebellious people. We talked about Israel being stiff-necked a few episodes ago. Now, therefore, let me alone and do not interfere. So that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them, I will make of you your descendants a great nation. So this is twofold, just like in Genesis chapter six. 
So God was observing Israel and God was at a point to where Israel, if you don't stop, actually, he was at that point. He was ready to destroy Israel, his chosen people, because they could not get the pride out of them. We've talked about this. It wasn't about sonship yet. It wasn't about trusting him yet. It was about pride. You can't get pride out of you and acknowledge me as your one and all, as your source. I am God. What was the first and what were the first and second commandments in Exodus chapter 20? He gave them before Exodus 32 came into play. I am the Lord, your God. Besides me, there is no other. The first commandment. The second commandment, do not make any uh, graven images, any idols before me are carved images of stone. And what did Israel do? They did both of those things. I mean, they violated the first two commandments already, let alone the other ones. And they were complaining. So they were sinning against their neighbor, who was Moses and Aaron and Miriam. And God said, okay, enough. Observing the nations. What is going on in your nations? You see, you got to be careful. I think a lot of times we think, and I begin, that's why I begin with the introduction the way that I did. A lot of times we may think we're doing what's right. And we're going to see this in Numbers 14. We may think we're doing what's right, but oh my God, if we could pull back the wool, uncover what is blinding us and what's hiding split through that veil that is separating us from true enlightenment, we would see that is not the pure motive from Holy Spirit. And we are not doing his mission. I heard a speaker recently say, I don't know if this is from her or if she um, got this or heard this from someone else, but she said Holy Spirit revealed it to her. I'm saying that because I don't know if she had heard it from someone else first. And then Holy Spirit reminded her of it. But she said, God said this to her about submission. She said, when we are submitted to Yeshua, that's when we get our mission. Do you get it? Submission. Our missions come from being submitted. So when you go back to the episode I talked about where authority comes from, I think it all ties together and where it makes sense. If we're not submitted and submission is not as simple as saying, Jesus, I accept you into my heart. You are the son of God. I believe in you. Come and live in me. Give me your Holy Ghost and you're baptized. You repent, so on and so forth. That's not that's the first step of submission. That's why scripture says we go from faith to faith and the righteous, the, the just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. It's not a one and done people. We have to continually be in submission. So we got to go up. What are you saying for us today while today's still today for us to be submitted? So here's the second part of, of Exodus 32. It's in verse 11. So Moses, similar to Noah, stands in intercession. Here's the power of intercession. And Moses says, but 
Moses appeased and entreated the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians with evil intent, their, with evil their God brought them out to kill them in the mountains and destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your burning anger and change your mind about harming your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants at the stars of the heavens and all this land of which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm, which he had said he would do to his people. Why am I talking with you about intercession? A couple of reasons. Number one, 2022, we got to get back to intercession, true intercession, true intercession is what Moses just did. It's about death. God could have killed Moses in his presence right then and there. Are you challenging me? Because I want to kill them right now. And I am right and justified in killing them. Not because he's God and he has this uh, totalitarian leadership style. He was just in wanting to destroy Israel. But God, what Moses did it wasn't so much about reminding. Moses prayed, conversation, talked with Yahweh about his word. He talked with Yahweh about Yahweh. Yahweh is the word. He talked with Yahweh about Yahweh, talked with the word about the word. If you destroy your people and you've given them all these promises and prophecies, you're no better than the other nation's gods. And Egypt will say, look what their God did to them in the wilderness. Do you see the power of in that is true intercession? Listen to me. Simple definition of intercession. Agreement with Yeshua. Do you see how simple that was? I didn't say period, but period. Intercession is agreement with Yeshua. That's it. It's not directing him. It's not commanding him. It's not any of the other stuff. It is simple agreement with the word. Remember, he is the word. John 1. He is the word. So we need to get this because God is wanting he wants to pour out such a blessing from the gates of heaven on us in 2022, bringing back intercession into the hearts of the people. I prayed about this a couple of days ago or a day ago, bringing back intercession into his sons and daughters, raising up a new prayer movement that is marked with intercession and worship and prophecy and the apostolic. It's not going to look like the past prayer movement. All that stuff is going to be implemented. And just like it was in the Jesus movement, I wasn't alive then, but I've heard the stories. And in other time frames, it ain't going to look exactly like it looked then because it's not supposed to. But there will be breakouts of Holy Spirit. There will be miracles and there will be healings and so on and so forth. Because according to 1 Corinthians 12, 28, when you have the progression, 
excuse me, when you have the order of apostle, prophet, teacher, all the other ministries follow miracles, healings, administrations, uh, tongues, so on and so forth. There's a whole list. So that's what's going to be seen, but it all is birth from intercession. The second thing that why intercession is important because it is true humility. Moses could have said, yeah, God, destroy him. I'm right there along with you. But that, that you see, God would have been justified. Yahweh would have been justified. But that would have reverted Moses back to his old nature when he was in Egypt. And Moses, as a leader of Israel, had to be above reproach and better. You see, that's a word for leaders. Too many of you leaders out here today, either you are leaders or you're calling yourself a leader. You're too busy being common and acting like those you lead or you want to be like those you lead or you you're want to be accepted by those you lead. You are the leader. Don't give me this run-of-the-mill, I almost said something. Don't give me that stuff. You are a leader. You're the leader. You a leaders are called to stand and go before. You are separate. Now, th- this is not to put you at some high and lofty place and make you this sovereign and make you like King Nebuchadnezzar because you're going to get brought down low. I don't care if you have the highest title in earth from heaven. If you raise yourself up like King Nebuchadnezzar did and you're a son or daughter of God, you will be brought low. That is a principle. God draws away from the proud. But you have to understand, it's, it's a perfect balance. You have to understand that God calls, it's not so much just God holds leaders to a different standard. God calls leaders to lead. There are different qualities about you, leaders. You got to get that. Ask Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. You ain't going to get it all from here. And I'm not giving it to you right now all day because it's too long already. So Moses would have reverted back to his old nature in Egypt, putting Egypt in the delivered Israel. And God would not have a mixed culture because as the leader, that would have defiled the entire nation. There was already defilement within the nations from the people's misactions and misdeeds and just being hot mess express. But thankfully, they had an intercessor. They had several intercessors, actually. We'll read about that real soon. But if Moses had done that, it would have defiled everything Yahweh worked for, planned for, they worked towards And we don't know what would have happened after that. Leaders must rise above. Now, that's also why everyone else, you pray for your leaders. Every leader, all kinds of leaders, when they disgust us, when they're wrong, when they are overbearing, when they're annoying, when they're whatever, pray for your leaders. They get attacked. They get hindered differently than we do. Pray for your leaders. But the power of intercession here was that Moses understood humility and Moses understood love. He understood God and God's word. Moses was transformed. 
The last thing I want to share before I close out is in Numbers chapter 14, and I am going to read verses 1 through 10, and then we'll close out. And I'm going to um, allude to verses, well, I'm actually going to read 1 through 16. And I will try to give a very quick synopsis. Then all the congregation of Israel raised their voices and cried out, and the people wept that night. All the Israelites murmured in discontent against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Oh, that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land of Canaan to fall by the sword? Our wives and children will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a new leader and return to Egypt. Now, we don't have time now, but when you actually study out who those people were, it was a specific group of people who had done that. And I want you, I'm giving you homework. I've never given you homework before, but you got some homework. Go study that. Go figure out who those people were, figure out their design and figure out where you stand in that today or where anybody is um, symbolic of that in recent history. Verse five, then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the Israelites, Joshua, the son of Nun and Caleb, the son of Jeff, Jeph- Funa, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes a sign of grief, and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land through which we pass as spies is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. You see, they were not rebelling against Moses and Aaron or Miriam. They were rebelling against Yahweh. We say that, but do we know that? I said this recently, how we respect and submit and honor earthly authority is how we honor and respect and submit to Yahweh's authority. And do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone Joshua and Caleb with stones. But the glory and brilliance of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting tabernacle before all the sons of Israel. Does that sound familiar in any recent historical events? I'm trying to jog your brain. Not going to give you all the answers. That's not what I do. Don't spoon feed people. Start thinking. Verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me disrespectfully and reject me? And how long will they not believe in me despite all the miraculous signs which I have performed among them? I will strike them with the pestilence plague and dispossess them. And I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. Does that sound like anything in recent history? All because of rebellion. All because of pride. Do you see why we got to get rid of pride? The antidote? America? Ephesus? Love. Go low. Humility. Here's the power of intercession for this. Verse 13, but Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it for by your strength you brought 
up these people from among them and they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people of Israel, that you, Lord, are seen face to face while your cloud stands over them and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations, Gentiles, that have heard of your fame will say, because the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land which he promised to give them, therefore he slaughtered them in the wilderness. But now, please let the power of the Lord be great, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving wickedness and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting, avenging the wickedness and guilt of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations that is calling the children to account for the sins of their fathers. Please pardon the wickedness and guilt of these according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you have forgiven these people from Egypt, even until now. Oh, my God, I love Moses's intercession. I love it. And do you know what happens? God pardons those who were complaining. And once again, he spares Israel now. A rebuke does happen, or judgment, if you will, does ensue and does follow, but he doesn't utterly destroy them. I want you to understand the power of intercession. We say we pray, but do we really pray? So pray. Ask for the spirit of intercession to be restored. Ask Holy Spirit to teach us how to pray. Ask, pray Matthew chapter six. I promise it's going to come back. Learn to be disciplined and get into a space committed to where even if it starts for a minute, five, however long, you don't even have to give any suggestions for however long until you endure to that place where you're travailing and you're groaning with the Holy Spirit. And when it's not even you anymore, when Holy Spirit's doing it for you, according to Romans chapter eight, and you're in the heavenlies and you're seeing how Yeshua is interceding and you join in with his intercession for nations or however he dispenses and deploys you because it might not be for nations. You might do it just for your nation. You might just do it for your state. You might do it for your government. You might do it against for whatever societal or social issues that's going on. You need to know what he is deploying you for in intercession. But let me tell you something. It is a time for us to rise up and understand the power of intercession because intercession truly can turn and save nations. I just gave you biblical references of how that happens. I pray you're blessed. I pray you're edified. I pray that you would go forth in the power of intercession in Jesus name.